This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and this week I am joined by my friend Ian Anderson. Hi. And also joining us is Hannah Ringswald from the Cinemania World podcast. Hannah, welcome back. Hi, hello. Last time you were on was all the way back in episode 18 for It Chapter 2. How have you been since then? Oh, pretty good. (laughs) As good as everyone can be during this time (laughs) yeah (laughs) so have you been like able to just watch a ton of stuff all the time or are you still working or what's going on i'm not working i'm not going to school but right as soon as i stopped working went to florida so i I haven't really had time to watch anything (laughs) (laughs) cool cool all right so this week we will be continuing our desperate scramble to find new content to talk about (laughs) by reviewing the Hulu original film, Big Time Adolescence. We'll start with the brief spoiler-free thoughts on the film, and then we will run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the film. And as always, we will finish with a point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So first, let's read a synopsis of Big Time Adolescence. A suburban teenager comes of age under the destructive guidance of his best friend, an aimless college dropout. Big Time Adolescence stars Griffin Gluck, Emily Arluck, and Pete Davidson. It is written and directed by Jason Orley. This is dope. This one? Yeah. Yeah, it sort of just looks like a bunch of scribbles and dicks. When you get older, you realize that's kind of all life is. It's just a bunch of scribbles and dicks and violence all in a void. Zeke was my sister's ex-boyfriend. He was the man. You gotta jerk off before you go fuck a girl. I jerk off before I pick you up. So I would be prepared. I don't know where the fuck we're going tonight. And he made me feel like the man. Fuck yeah, got a home run. Who's gonna drink it? Hold on, what's in that? Whiskey, beer, cough syrup, and Zanny Bar. Oh, damn. Oh, Oh. Oh. that's my dude. You meet some punk, and you have no idea at the time that he's gonna be parked in front of your house every day for the rest of your goddamn life. So, Hannah... I kind of know your thoughts on this film just a little bit based on what you've been tweeting out, but why don't you tell us uh, first just your general thoughts on this film and uh, what you think works about it? Um, yeah, I love this film. It's my favorite film of the year so far. I feel uh, this this happened last time I was on the podcast too because I talked about it chapter two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's good. Uh, yeah, I love it to pieces. I think it's Chef's Kiss, amazing just everything works about it it's such like a simple film but there's so much like lying underneath of it and like even if you like take it like surface value you can still get like a lot of enjoyment out of it but re-watching it and thinking about it a little more and like diving a little deeper you can get even more out of it and i've rewatched this film like six times and it's only Jeez. just came out uh in the beginning of the month uh yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> i cannot i cannot just like love something i have to like obsessively love something it's a bit ridiculous uh <laughs> yeah and the the writing is just fantastic i think that's like the strongest point of the movie for me is that it's just so funny and it tackles so many like things in the movie and it like achieves all of them and just goes above and beyond what the movie should be and yeah i just really love this movie awesome ian how about you are you on the same page uh with with some parts of it i think i am on the same page but um you know i've seen pete davidson and all uh all of like his big snl things i've seen some of his stand-up i haven't seen the new netflix special but i i've enjoyed all of the stuff that I've seen of him. So I was a bit wary going into something where he's acting more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think that his acting was probably my favorite part of the movie. The relationship between him and Mo uh, Griffin Gluck. I thought that was by far the best part of the movie. I wasn't as huge a fan of like the plot. I thought the plot was 
pretty basic sort of high school uh, drama kind of thing. But uh, I think once you get past the plot and see that it's like more just driving their relationship forward, um, I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, Hannah, last time you were on the podcast was It Chapter 2, and we did not have the same opinion of that film. <laughs> I was defending it. <laughs> yeah, you were, you were definitely in the minority on that one, but I agree with you on this one. I think this is a really good film, and it sounds like we're all pretty positive on it for the most part. I think the thing I liked about it the most was that it feels like a very real high school experience. It's very authentic in the way that a lot of these high school comedy dramedy things aren't. So, I mean, even thinking back to 2019, there was Booksmart, which I thought was a really excellent coming-of-age high school teen dramedy film. But at the end, I think there are a couple things that happen that are just a little bit too over-the-top for me. And this one, everything stays very grounded. There's there's never a moment where you're, you feel like you're watching a movie or there's some sort of giant, you know, cinematic third-act thing that happens and i really enjoyed that about the film ian do you think maybe that's why you don't you didn't like the plot and that it just kind of felt like nothing was going on i don't know i felt it was sort of basic like high school parties drugs uh cops getting involved and stuff i I thought i could see where it was going pretty easily that in that way I think I think it would have taken away from the film if it went like kind of like the book smart route, though, where it's like, hey, we have a plot and we're trying to get to something in the plot. Not saying that like anyone can like not like like the plot, like, go ahead, like <laughs> totally understandable, because <laughs> I know a lot of people who don't like call me by your name for the same reason. But these are my favorite kind of movies where mm-hmm. it's just like you kind of get to live with these characters and there's no really like, you know, thing to achieve in the movie. You just really get to sit and like experience like the relationship and, you know, the characters and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. I get that. Yeah, I agree. And I actually think that I'm usually kind of against those sort of movies that are almost slice of lifey. Like, I, I really do like there to be a plot. But I thought that this one was nice because, first off, it's only 90 minutes. So it's almost yeah. like by the time you feel like, oh, okay, maybe something should happen, it's kind of over. And mm-hmm. you get this nice, it, it is just a very thin slice of their life. But I also really thought that the the main character, Griffin Gluck, was a really relatable protagonist in the way that he was kind of aware of how uncool but also cool Pete Davidson's character was and it he kind of had this like self-awareness of not wanting to kind of become Pete Davidson in a way that I think a lot of these kind of slacker hang around films don't really look at too much mm-hmm. and what did you think about that I really love that part of the film is that uh, because a lot with a lot of the time with these things uh, coming of age movies and they have like, you know, two protagonists and they're like, you know, buddies or whatever. I feel like the, they always like take sides with one of the one of the one of the people. Uh, and this happens all the time. And it's always like it always one person always has to be like the bad person. And the one person has to be like, you know, the good person, whatever. Uh, here, I think that the movie deals with the treating the two like very equally. Uh, because, you know, Pete Davidson's character at first, it's kind of, it seems like it's going to go that way. And they're like, oh, well, he's going to be like, you know, the bad influence. And he's a bad influence, like no doubt, but they never make it that way where it's like, you know, Pete Davidson is like forcing this on, um, Griffin Gluck's character, uh, Mo. It's always that like Mo and him are like kind of feeding off each other and it's like bad, no doubt, but there's still like such like love and like a real relationship there between them. And I think it's handled so well. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that, um, like you say, you know, maybe another film would kind of make Pete Davidson an antagonistic character. And you're right, he's certainly um, a problematic influence, and he's certainly a character that I think Griffin might be, you know, his life might be a little better off if he wasn't so close to this character. But I don't think he's kind of, he's not a malicious character, and I think those layers make for a really interesting dynamic between him and Griffin Gluck's character. And there's something about Pete Davidson's character that is almost uh, sympathetic. Mm-hmm. You never you never hate him for the things that he does, even though you know that some of those things are wrong. And I think that the film also knows that those things are wrong. Oh, yeah. They never try and excuse the things at all. Mm-hmm. And right. that's, so, like, that's great. Ian, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean... Again, this was probably my favorite part of the the film, that weird relationship. Not weird, but uh, 
uh, sort I mean, of it's good, a little sort of weird. Bad. Yeah, it, it is <laughs> it's a weird complicated. But, um, you know, I feel like everybody, this was like the most relatable thing in the movie to me, uh, Zeke. Like everybody, I think, knows a Zeke from their high school. Somebody who's like super funny and charming, but also is sort of hiding in insecurity. And he like continues going down this path where he thinks he's just going to keep getting by on being like funny and uh, like nice and stuff like that. And then you just see like it's not it's not getting him anywhere. And I, I feel like we all have people that we end up having to separate from from because we see them going down a path like that and you just sort of see that path in in this yeah and i think it's interesting that this okay yeah like like you said hannah it doesn't really uh vindicate him or anything like that it doesn't like it doesn't say oh wow look at what this character could do if he just put his mind to it i mean he's not he's not an idiot by any means but he is there's no um He's like learn a poison. anything. Yeah, yeah. So like I I it, it's interesting that the cuz a lot of these films I'm thinking of films like, you know, like Knocked Up or whatever, um the Seth Rogen character kind of learns a lesson whereas mm-hmm. in this case it's more that Pete Davidson is a self Seth Rogen character and uh Griffin Gluck is the one that learns that he should not be idolizing this person. I think it's a very interesting message to go with this type of film. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I want to move into spoilers just pretty quickly here. It's not going to be any like big spoilers. This movie doesn't have, like we said, it's just a slice slice of life (laughs) film. So there's no massive spoilers, but just talking a little bit about specifics, I think we can call that spoilers. So before we do that, uh, Hannah, why don't you just rank this film out of 10? We do do point fives here, but I'm guessing you probably won't need that one. Oh, yeah, 10 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, do you want to qualify it uh, other than best movie of the year so far? Uh, yeah, it's, it's my favorite movie of the year so far. Like, I, I don't see it changing really throughout the year either. Uh, usually when I have a favorite movie this early in the year, I'm like, oh, it'll change. Right now, as of now, I can't see Big, uh, big Time Adolescence like, moving out of that number one spot. It helps that there's like delayed. no movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, even though there's like no movies. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ian, what about you? Um, I think uh, I think I'd give it a seven mm-hmm. out of ten. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was a good movie. Um, I, yeah, I guess that's it. I thought it was a good movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give it an eight. I think it's uh, it is a good movie. I think it's it's a really good script, like Hannah mentioned, and I mm-hmm. really like the how well written it is and how grounded everything feels. And I like that there's none of the kind of movie tropey stuff in it that is like oh everybody has to get a happy ending and everybody learns a lesson and everybody's better off at the end of the film than they were at the beginning of the film i really like Mm -hmm. all of that so it was it was refreshing and again i think 90 minutes goes a long way for me in terms of like not exactly expecting less from the film but it just makes it so much easier to justify watching it because it's like look it's 90 minutes don't expect an epic but it's something that is just really enjoyable and i think all the characters are great so yeah eight out of ten for me here so i will say with that let's hop into spoilers uh spoilers for big time adolescence starting now that's my secret cat I'm always angry. Yeah, okay, so spoilers, not, you know, weird word for it, I guess, but there is a part at the end that I think is really interesting that I was talking about where, you know, when you look at the characters at the end of this, Zeke ends up completely alone. Um, Mm -hmm. Mo and Zeke do not have a kind of mending of their relationship. They have the talk in the the restaurant and in, they seem to be on okay terms, but it's pretty clear that Mo doesn't really want anything to do with Zeke. Um, but the, the point that I thought was really interesting that kind of separates this film from another one is or from another film that's similar to it is that Mo tries to apologize to um, the girl that he was kind of dating. And she's just like, look, I, I don't care. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> she just said he, he does not get the girl, which I think is a very, true and realistic thing hannah did you pick up on that or did you like that part of the the film 
Yeah, I like that part of the um, movie. It's not like one of my favorite parts or anything. Not like because like bad or anything. It's just not something that like I guess struck a chord at me. Uh, mm-hmm. Something that did though is the like conversation at the end of the film, uh, or that whole like uh, fifteen minutes kind of where he goes and gets Mo from the party. Uh, and then they have that really great song that plays, and it's like about like someone being like by your side or whatever like that. And then uh, they go to Zeke's house and they have this like really beautiful and real conversation and I can watch it for like on loop. (laughs) It's just so like beautiful because the movie, it, like I said before, it's a very simple movie. And if you, you can get enjoyment out of it, like just on surface level, but then if you like, you know, rewatch it and think about it a little more, you can get a lot more out of it. Uh, I think that there's a lot of themes of like uh, dealing with kind of like masculinity um, throughout the entire movie because their relationship it's it's very like it's obvious that they're very close and they're not afraid to like talk about their feelings and just be very open with one another and then this conversation towards the end where they're just like talking about like airing everything out and it's it's really beautiful to see just like you know i guess because usually in these like coming of age movies i'm thinking about like super bad like with boys in particular i'm thinking about like super bad super bad tries this but it doesn't really ever like get past that point where it's like you fully believe it uh and here i think it's tackled a lot better because you know these characters are actually like you know being open and honest with each other and not afraid to be like hey i love you super bad does this too but like i it it doesn't mold as well for me uh and yeah just like that one line of pete davidson being like i fucking love you and it's it's so warms my heart (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that's maybe because this film, even though it is funny and it's definitely a comedy in parts, but it it's not quite as funny as I th- was maybe expecting it to be on, in the get-go, and it takes that more uh, dramedy approach than something like Superbad? Do you think that works there? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think that uh, it works better because it's more of a drama. I just think that this might be better written and better thought through because <laughs> Superbad definitely like it. It's a comedy. But it also, and for like the majority of the movie, and then by the end, they're like trying to squeeze this thing in. We're like, hey, remember they're friends and they're really close? <laughs> yeah. And it's, this doesn't do that. It, it kind of tries to have the whole like, oh, they're doing all this zany stuff and look, McLovin is going to get laid by the mom. But then also, oh, it's a sentimental thing. And I think that... <laughs> I would say that the the most ridiculous part about this film is that uh, Mo gets to have sex with Pete Davidson's girlfriend. I thought that that was a little felt a little out of nowhere um, and almost wish fulfillment y. But other than that, I feel like everything is so just focused on their relationship that it doesn't feel out of left place for those characters to have like a serious t- conversation. It it didn't that part didn't bother me as much because uh, at first when it happened I was like oh okay that seems weird and then when it came down to the conversation uh, I, it kind of felt like it was essential to that because like Mo comes out with it expecting uh, Zeke to be like you know pissed or just like uh, disown him and then Zeke just kind of was like oh okay like you know it just it kind of adds to that like adds to the relationship of like Zeke and Mo just being so close and obviously there's like love and a real uh friendship there even though the movie does like say like oh well they're using each other to like you know the Zeke wants to feel cool Mo wants to feel um like validated or or whatever yeah that that part that you mentioned where Zeke kind of just essentially just forgives or doesn't even doesn't even think that it's an issue that Griffin Gluck's character has kind of had sex with his girlfriend who he broke up with kind of gives what I, uh, I think it it shows that Pete Davidson's character, even though he is kind of a a mess up and a screw up, he really does clearly care about Mo. Like he's, it it never feels like he's using Mo or that he's trying to take advantage of Mo or anything like that. It, It is very clear that there's actually a genuine love there. And I think it's really sweet that as you point out that they have that special moment together. I just thought that that was more of another example of how Zeke is just immature. Like he didn't really seem like he was taking anything seriously because it didn't really seem like he was like, you know, happy for, for Mo or anything. It just seemed like he didn't really care about his relationship with this girl. You know, when, like when, when she walks out the door breaking up with him, he's like, Oh no, stop. (laughs) 
and he's like sitting at the table eating cereal. Like I, I just think he didn't really take anything seriously. And well, yeah, that's like kind of like the thing throughout the whole movie is that he doesn't yeah. really take anything seriously, even like his relationship with Mo sometimes. Yeah, and I think that's why the movie uh, works so well is because you have Zeke and Mo who are like you know very both are. Mo has a reason to be immature, but then Zeke, he's just immature just because he's immature. And that's why he hangs out with Mo because, you know, they're both like, he can't find anyone his own age or whatever friends mm-hmm. that can be, be that way with him other than like Mo because he's 16. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so I guess let's kind of transition to a, a question that I sort of have just about the movie in general. And we talked about a little bit in the non-spoiler section how much value do you think the movie places on that? Like, I, I think, Hannah, that when you point out that they have this kind of um, really close conversation and they say, I love you, and he doesn't, you know, really freak out about Mo doing that or anything. is Do you think the movie is saying that that is um, like a positive or is it do you think it's more like what Ian's saying is that that's sort of just, again, another example of how he's immature and then it's ultimately kind of making a judgment call on, you know, this type of culture and this type of person. If it's like a good thing that he slept with him or just uh, slept with her or what? <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That was, it was a pretty poorly worded question and I kind of like lumped two questions together. I guess I just mean in general, do you th- like how, how much do you think the movie is taking a stand on whether or not or the type of person Pete Davidson is, is a good type of person to be. Oh, no, the movie, like, I think the movie full, uh, full and through that thinks that like, or portrays that Zeke isn't really a good person and that he's definitely like a bad influence on Mo and he's never like, you know, uh, really offered him a whole lot. And I don't think the movie ever really tries to like excuse any of the things that Zeke, uh, does or shows Mo or anything like that. Uh, I just think that the movie just simply like, you know, kind of hands them over to you, to the audience and is like, hey, here, look at these things. They're bad and you know they're bad and we're not trying to be like, oh, but, you, you know, whatever, uh, <laughs> because he ends up having consequences for him. You know, Mo doesn't like uh, disowns him basically at the end. Uh, and that's the big consequence to the movie for his actions. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you. Um, so then. <laughs> How self-aware do you think Pete Davidson is that this character is kind of him? Oh, oh very I think self-aware. that the movie knows that, it's, uh, <laughs> that Pete Davidson is just himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way. I, I think he very clearly sees that this is just like, like in another world, like this is him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so isn't that kind of... Kind of sucks to be to be him in in this movie. So basically, yeah. I was <laughs> yeah, I was I was uh, listening to a Sundance interview with all of them, uh, kind of sitting on a couch or whatever, and talking about the film. And the director is talking about how like the characters are very much just the actors that are playing them, and that the the act the movie kind of came together when the actors were all together. And like that sort of feels like a pretty big insult to Pete Davidson just as as a person. <laughs> he's so he's so into that though. That's like his brand. What is that? He knows that he kind of like self deprecating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I I suppose that's fair. I guess um maybe this is I mean this is just completely conjecture on our part. We don't know him whatsoever. But do you think he is <laughs> an intelligent person? Like I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 after watching a stand-up special, I think so. Yeah, he's very and like so- hearing him like talk about like the movie and like just ever, other things like that. Yeah, yeah. So Hannah, you've seen the uh, we're talking about the Alive in New York stand-up special. Yeah, which also uh, Jason Orley directed that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, these are like the only two things he's directed, right? Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so he's kind of like crafting a corner out in the uh, Pete Davidson universe or something who knows <laughs> um but so how much does that doc or not documentary but stand-up special kind of reflect similarly on this film and do you like that one as much as the film uh it doesn't reflect on the film at all i look at the film as its own thing i don't like because to me uh i 
don't really know Pete Davidson all that well. Uh, I know I've watched him on SNL every now and then. Uh, and I knew that he was with Ariana Grande. And I've known about this film since 2019 because I heard uh, heard about it when it premiered at Sundance. Mm-hmm. And I've been excited for it ever since then. Literally, just look up my ad on Twitter and then Big Time Adolescence, you will see me tweeting about it for ages i literally tweeted hulu for an entire month asking for a release date and trailer (laughs) for this movie uh uh, but so when i finally got the movie i was just really excited to see it not because of like pete davidson or anything like that uh but after i watched the movie i went and watched the stand-up special because i was like oh okay pete davidson was really good in this movie uh i didn't like the stand-up special uh (laughs) yeah uh I, i i just I don't think that he's very good at writing jokes, which is okay. I think he's good at delivering them. Uh, in this movie, he's very funny. On SNL, he's very funny sometimes. Uh, I just don't think think that he's good at writing his own jokes. I completely agree with you. I thought the stand-up was really difficult to watch, and I actually had to turn it off about halfway through because I was watching it in a room full of people that like were not a whole room. Okay, we're in quarantine. I know that. <laughs> room with like four people in it, but... Like I was the only one that was watching it and it was just kind of uncomfortable to watch because it it was pretty, um, I don't know if sexist is the word, but just, you know, very, it was pretty impure and kind of dirty and yeah. it, are you talking about the Ariana stuff? Uh, no, actually before that, just, uh, just, you know, just saying things like, I'm not going to repeat it. I don't know, but like. Yeah, it's his a lot brand of, of jokes that it's it's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's it's and none of it is particularly like you said well written, so it just felt like I was listening to some dude talk about sex for a while and there was nothing really insightful or novel about it and it wasn't even trying to push buttons in a way that Dave Chappelle pushes buttons to kind of like you know, say what you want about Dave Chappelle, he is intentionally doing things to piss people off so that he can talk about pissing people off it doesn't even feel like that it just felt like sort of or these... even this movie yeah this movie kind of does that in a lot of ways because the movie it's like it's it's weird because this movie has a, a weird like balance of being kind of woke also being like very like uh uh what's the word i'm looking for um crass maybe no <laughs> i can't think of it but um <laughs> being like kind of woke but also like not uh really being like politically correct uh in any ways and I, I i really appreciate appreciate that about the movie because it doesn't do it in a way that's like offensive at all mm-hmm. and it feels like very like real and uh, authentic in the ways that it is like uh not politically correct yeah i mean it's it's very true to the high school experience so do you think that pete davidson is a good actor um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think, yeah. Uh, I think that he must have had to act in some way to pull off that scene at the end of him having that conversation with uh, Mo. Uh, if if he wasn't, like, at least had some sort of acting capability, I don't think that that conversation would have uh, been as great as it was. So do you think this is the first step in seeing a bunch more of these Pete Davidson kind of dramedies or anything like that? Or do you think this is more just like... He was kind of born to play this character. I mean, he has some more coming up. So. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but I forgot who the director is. But it's like no, like notable. Hmm. And he's going to be in Suicide Squad. <laughs> no, he's not. Is he really? Oh, God, yeah. is he? Oh, yeah, he is. Wow. That's insane. That's crazy. Is he going to be like a villain or no? He's probably just he's probably just going to be like a random person, right? Like Ike Barinholtz. Well, what happened? So the cast list came out, and then they started shooting. And the first uh, set that came out was like everyone who suspect uh, everyone suspects that is going to be in the movie for like the first like five minutes, and then they're going to get killed off because of what James Gunn has been saying on Twitter. Because he's saying that like seventy five percent of pe- uh, the people don't even make it out of the movie uh, within the first like fifteen minutes. So. Everyone thinks that that group of people that we saw on set, including Pete Davidson, uh, on those first days are out. Mm. That'll be pretty funny, actually, then. Yeah. (laughs) And the other movie that he's going to be in, I just looked it up, is uh, The King of Staten Island. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, The autobiographical comedy drama starring Pete growing up in Staten Island, losing his father during 9-11 and stuff. Yeah. Who's the director on that, Ian? 
Judd Apatow. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, you know, Judd Apatow is known for just making the types of films that I think Pete Davidson would be good in. It, it is <laughs> I, nice. <laughs> no shade it. to Pete Davidson. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just mean that, like, I, I don't think Judd Apatow ever asks Seth Rogen to be anybody other than Seth Rogen. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the only person that has asked Seth Rogen to not be Seth Rogen is uh, director of Steve Jobs. His name is escaping me right now. Uh, Dan, not Danny Boyle. What's his name? The guy that wrote The West Wing. Wow. <laughs> oh That's my God. Ridiculous. It's going to bother me. It's on the Aaron tip of my tongue. Aaron Sorkin. Danny Boyle. Danny Sorkin wrote it. Oh, it is Danny Boyle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I said. But Aaron Sorkin wrote it. Uh, I did the screenplay. I yeah. was trying to think of Aaron Sorkin to be like, oh, yeah, you directed it. <laughs> yeah. I thought he directed it too. Well, anyways, okay. But I mean, on that point, I think going back to this film just a little bit before we wrap up. When you think about somebody like Judd Apatow and when he directs people like Seth Rogen, a lot of those films, again, are more like they're more kind of celebratory of slacker culture and more kind of like, look at these smart people. Yeah, they're a little lost in life, but they have so much greatness in them that, that, you know, if somebody could just (laughs) tap into it. And this film almost makes an intentional point to be like, no one fucking cares if you have greatness inside you. We really only care what you're doing. And that mm-hmm. ending scene in the restaurant where he specifically is like, oh, I, I wrote a, a screenplay. And then he's like, well, you know, I haven't started it yet. I thought that was a really great. Yeah, that great that was my favorite part of the movie, I think. Yeah. It, it, I mean, in a way, though, it is a little uh, sad. <laughs> but I mean, I guess, yeah. again, you're not. It's interesting. I I would have thought that this film from just like seeing it from an outside perspective and all I knew was that this was the Pete Davidson movie. I thought that Pete Davidson was going to be the character that we ultimately follow and care about. But Mm -hmm. it is really cool that it is Griffin Gluck's character and Mm -hmm. Mo. And I I think Griffin Gluck did a really great job here in this film. And it's really nice to see that he actually does have a character arc and it's a very almost counterintuitive character arc when you think about these high school teen comedy things okay so let's move on to our point two section where we talk about some of the other stuff that we've been watching Hannah, i know you said that you've been in florida for a while but have you been watching anything else um i watched the banker (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) and it was and it was bad (laughs) it was really bad oh no Uh, (laughs) It's just kind of boring. Uh, and then, like, it, so it takes place in, like, the 50s. And uh, the movie is shot on digital. And it's it just it seems so jarring because they don't do they don't, like, make any sort of effort to, like, make the movie at least, like, appear to, like, be on film or make the movie to, like, appear to be, like, a little more, like, older. Uh, it's just really jarring to, like, see, like, you know, like, these people in, like, you know, 50s, like, outfits and, like, the sets and stuff like that and, like, you know, have a shot of Anthony Mackie's face and, like, you can see, like, every pore on it and it's, like, you know, it's it's fucking weird. Um, <laughs> and then, I don't know, there's, it's just so, like, I can't really, like, put, a, like, a specific thing on it to what felt so weird just watching it, but there's just not something. I It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ian, do you know about this film? Do you know what she's talking about? Um, no, I don't. Yeah, so this is a film um, from Apple TV, I believe, right? Oh, okay. That's why I don't. Yeah. Yeah, so do you have Apple TV, Hannah? I don't. Oh. Yeah, I do. Yeah, so everything seems pretty not good on Apple TV. I don't, I don't know what to like. Do you like owning Apple TV? <laughs> is this something that we should get? I get it free with Verizon, so okay. <laughs> and I've only watched The Banker on it. <laughs> so you you haven't checked out like the morning show or anything like that. No, I I don't care to. <laughs> okay, that's fair. I watched Bombshell, and that was enough for me. Yeah, so I know The Banker was like supposed to come out last year, but there were some reasons that it got delayed and everything like that. But so you're saying not worth it, not worth the time, and it also doesn't seem like you're. A, super supportive of Apple TV plus unless it's free. Is that fair? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. So Ian, uh, what have you been watching? Hopefully something better, maybe. Uh, No, no. (laughs) 
Um, I watched uh, Annabelle Comes Home recently on Netflix. Why? Uh, I think it was on Netflix. No, it was on <laughs> Hulu or HBO, one of the two. <laughs> but um, it's in the whole like conjuring vein of uh, movies. If either of you have seen any of those. Yeah, so I've seen yes. the first Conjuring. Okay. So then I've seen both. And then I did see the first Annabelle and the second one. Oh, wow. The whole like universe now is just constantly setting up for more movies. Um, like in the first Conjuring movies, you see that uh, the couple who's the main character, who the main characters, the exorcists and stuff, they uh, have this big like museum like thing in their house with like haunted trinkets and stuff like that. And like the big locked up one is Annabelle. And so most of the movies are about her. But in in this most recent Annabelle movie, it was about how like literally everything in this room is horribly haunted. And there's a girl that goes in and just like to test everything just touches literally everything in the room. (laughs) Um, And so it was like literally just like screaming in our faces. We're going to have like 40 more movies. (laughs) (laughs) And that's like pretty much all it was for the entire thing. Annabelle was like hardly in it. So, do you like the original ones? Um, yeah, I thought the Conjuring movies were really good, actually. Uh, Wait, how many Conjuring movies are there? There were two. Con- two. I mean, there were two con- the Conjuring movies, but all of them are really the Conjuring. Like the Nun um, has to do with the Conjuring couple. The the Annabelle movies all tie in. But what was I saying? I don't know. Something about nuns. <laughs> I mean, there there were like some scary parts in the film, but it seems like just so much of it had to do with setting up more things. And the the main characters that people really like from the old movies, the old Conjuring movies, were only in like the first fifteen minutes of this movie, and then it was just like their babysitter and their their daughter for the rest of the movie. I was gonna uh, say, isn't this the one where they're just like trapped in the house the entire time? Yeah, yeah. And the the parents who like we actually care about were outside the whole time. Like I don't know why we were supposed to care about a babysitter. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was bad. Okay. So so you would recommend like all the other films? I would recommend the con the two conjuring movies and maybe the nun. I I would say the nun because there are some really good scary moments in the nun. Hmm. I guarantee you I will never watch The Nun. <laughs> that, that's okay. Yeah, I will never fight you on good. that. <laughs> I will never I will never fight you on that. Okay. okay. The Nun is boring. <laughs> yeah. So Hannah, you've seen all of these things then. Um same thoughts on Annabelle Comes Home or uh, I haven't seen Annabelle Comes Home. I don't think I've seen all of them. I haven't seen like uh La Llorona. That's in the universe too? I think so. Oh, which one? <laughs> La Llorona. Oh, is it? I, I haven't seen that so. one. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm just lumping it in. Uh, <laughs> the average horror movie <laughs> cinematic universe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's not. Uh, and I haven't seen the third animal movie, but everything everything other than like the two Conjuring movies are kind of bad. Uh, yeah. The second Annabelle movie is not bad, though. It, it's like, it's okay. There's the first three one's Annabelle movies? Yeah, the movies? first one is horrible. Yeah. Holy shit. First oh, one's creation. horrible. And then David F. Sandberg did the uh, second one. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is done by, I don't know, I don't care. Gary Dauberman. <laughs> oh, sorry, Barry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck Gary. <laughs> okay. Wait, oh, wow. Gary? Yeah, Gary. Yeah, Gary. Gary oh, Dauberman. I said Barry. <laughs> <laughs> it's rated R for horror, violence, and terror. I felt no terror. Yeah, that feels oh. so weird. Uh, the Conjuring movies are the same way. Like they're rated R for that reason, and there's no like you know like swearing or like gore or anything. It's yeah. just like oh, it's scary. It's rated R. Yeah, well, I remember that was like a big deal when the original Conjuring movie came out, and it was the only reason I saw it, because everyone was like, well, this is the first movie that's rated R because of just how scary it is, or something like that. And then I saw it, and there was a part where a girl was like dragged across the floor by a demon by her hair, and I was like, this looks silly. I can't I can't do this. <laughs> I love that, though. I love that James Wan like, uh, isn't afraid to like show like silly moments in like his horror films, like even with like Insidious. Yeah. 
I loved it. Chapter two is a surprise. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think I probably need to give The Conjuring another go. It it was uh, kind of like, no, I don't, I don't know if you have to if you've seen it before. Okay, yeah, I, I, I feel don't like know. You I, got out of it what you're going to get out of it. That's, yeah, I was that's fair. Say, if you if you don't like it, then you don't like it. Okay, yeah, because I also don't really like Insidious either. I thought that one was silly. Yeah, so, you're breaking my heart. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, think, I think you're. I think you're <laughs> maybe fine. I'm just like maybe I am just like that one person who's like, hey, here's like kind of a bad horror movie, and I'm like, oh my god, I love it. <laughs> no, I know yeah. there's a lot of people like that, and I mean clearly they make like what sixty million dollars every time Blumhouse like <laughs> films a dark room. So I mean, but but we still have big time adolescents. Like we're still we we don't have completely polar opposites and mediocre horror movies yeah. that's my thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right and so ian you didn't figure out where you saw that it's somewhere on the internet but it, it doesn't even matter somewhere on the internet it is it's out there cool <laughs> <laughs> awesome so i was gonna talk about better call saul because i've been binge watching that but i'm gonna keep the negativity train going with something that i watched <laughs> recently that was pretty not good and i guess i'm gonna pull and i think it was ign that did that witcher review after watching two episodes is that right was it ign mm-hmm. yeah probably that sounds like them yeah so um <laughs> well so i checked out the hulu show little fires everywhere i have always had the best intentions Someone burned down your house with you inside. Elena, do you know anyone that would do this? Oh, yeah. Have you guys seen this? Is it just like, is it just Big Little Lies light? It's it's Big Little Lies if Big Little Lies was bad. Oof. So like Big Little Lies season two? (laughs) No, but like at least Big Little Lies season two had like... uh, I don't know what you call it, but production value, I guess. Like, sure. And Uh, if you just want to call Monterey Beach production value, sure. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know, you point a camera at Meryl Streep, and yeah, exactly. It's gonna be cool, regardless of what she's doing. No, actually, I can't say that. Always, I hated Into the Woods, and she was in that. But anyways, yeah. So Big Little Lie or nope, Little Fires Everywhere is like it takes place in the '90s, and Reese Witherspoon is basically her character from Big Little Lies. And then there's like another mom who uh, is played by Carrie Washington. And basically the whole show. Okay. Well, I've only, so I watched the first episode and after I was done watching it, I was like, I have no idea what this show is about. It seems to have a lot to do with like privilege and disparities in the wealth gap and like, what is it like being a mother of a child when you are not poor, but like n- not well off? And then what is it like when you are well, th- well off and what are the differences in your problems, which is like a fourth of what Big Little Lies season one is about. But that's what this whole thing is sort of about. But it also doesn't really have anything interesting to say about it. It kind of just says, hey, these things exist. And both of these characters are pretty unpleasant to be around. And also all the child acting is really, really bad. So we watched the second episode after the second episode or like halfway through the second episode. I was like, this is this episode is actively bad. Like at least the first episode was uh, interesting and kind of well made and stuff. But I thought the second episode was just an actively bad episode of television. And so I am not returning to it. But I read the plot of the book online and it seems pretty crazy. R.I.P. Little Fires. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Little fires? Little fires everywhere. And this was this was in a tweet, but it was I still like laughed audibly out loud when it happened. Within the first minute of the show, someone says there were little fires everywhere. Oh, <laughs> oh man. They said the no. thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. They they never said big time adolescence in this movie. Wow. They were wow. never like every wow. movie needs uh, to say changing its my rating. title. they were never like this is the time for adolescence big time it's big time to be an adolescent (laughs) oh my god if that happened i would have turned it off so fast (laughs) i I thought his script for his movie was going to be called that oh Oh, you thought it was going to do a hobbit ending i see yeah 
Yeah. <laughs> why, would the they na- why would he name it Big Time Adolescence for a zombie movie? I don't know. He's not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call it A Song of Fire and Ice. Boo. But yeah, anyways. <laughs> anyways, uh, Little Fires Everywhere. Not, not. I could not recommend it. And I even tried to like... See if people generally liked it, and honestly, I I don't I don't know I don't know if I'm in the minority on this or not, but yeah, there's there's so much TV that you could watch that's better. Oh, Ian, last time we talked about uh not Love Island but Love Is Blind. Yeah, yeah. So my roommate started watching that, so I watched the last couple episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I will I'm sending like a public apology out that like that mo- that show is pretty cool. I'm glad I didn't have to watch it for the first five hours and I got like yeah. all the payoff of the last three, but it was, it was pretty fun to watch trash people be trash. Oh so. my God. Yeah. I love it. Okay. <laughs> just had to, just had to throw that out there. <laughs> I have a show suggestion maybe. Oh, go for it. Teen Wolf. <laughs> it was trending on Twitter the other day and it kind of resurged my feelings about it. Wait, like MTV's Teen Wolf? <laughs> yeah, MTV's Teen Wolf. Okay. Um, if if you if like teen drama, like supernatural stuff, is like seems appealing to you, watch it because the show is actually pretty good. Uh, it's not like a Riverdale. It's not like CW. It's a bit better. It's a lot better. Um, but the show has like actual moments of like quality. So yeah, if and it has like six seasons. Oh my god, really? Watch it if you would like to during quarantine. Yeah, it's it I promise you, uh the first season the first two seasons are kind of rough to get through. It seems like kind of a CW show, but from then on, the show's actually pretty much like really good. Like actually really good, not like teen show really good, like just a really good show. <laughs> Ian, have you seen Teen Wolf? I haven't, but it sounds right up my alley. It it does. And I actually <laughs> I actually have seen this show. I yeah, this was a show that I watched in high school when I was a freshman or whatever when this came out. It came out in 2011. <laughs> so I th- I remember watching it almost not week to week because I mean, I don't really remember what TV was like before Netflix, but I'm pretty sure I didn't watch things week to week or <laughs> binge. I don't know what we did. Um, but yeah, I I I agree with you. I well, I mean, I guess I've only seen the like the first two seasons or something, but even then I, I thought it was really cool. I really liked styles and I thought like the the makeup was actually pretty cool and stuff. So are you rewatching it, Hannah? Uh actually I just rewatched it not too long ago. Oh, okay. Uh like in the beginning of the year. Uh I've seen it like four times, like all the way through. It's just a really easy show to watch and it's it's really funny. Uh, surprisingly, it's not like the CW shows. Once again, I feel like when you recommend a show like this, everyone's minds go to like CW, and they're like, "Oh, like I'm not gonna like it. Like you know, it's gonna be yeah. <laughs> uh, boring and like draggy and too like teeny." Um, it's not that way at all. And like some supernatural, some supernatural shows can get like too caught up in like the supernatural stuff, like Vampire Diaries and stuff like that, where it just kind of gets boring. But this doesn't do that. There's like a new villain every season and the villains are actually really interesting and the characters are actually really interesting. Uh, they're all they all have like really good personalities, styles, especially he's uh, a, like a great comic relief, like one of the best like sidekicks uh, that I can remember in like a TV show like ever. Um, so, yeah, it'd be a good way to spend some time watching it. Yeah, I think it's pretty crazy that Dylan O'Brien was like the breakout star of that show and he still doesn't get the respect he deserves he's a great actor like watching like uh teen wolf and then like what he did after teen wolf like even in the maze runner movies he's like really great and american assassin too like he's fantastic in that but i feel like he just can't pick good projects or he's just not uh receiving good good projects uh but yeah sad yeah it looks like there's a lot of uh like cw people in the show too though like colton haynes and uh yeah Tyler Honchlin, you're you're Superman, Ian. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> oh he was yeah, in that. he uh he's uh he's uh Derek in the show, and he's like kind of like the alpha main wolf before. Uh, I'm not gonna spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. You sure he's not Derek in uh, the Good Place? Nice. I never, I haven't seen the Good Place. Well, oh. that landed flat. <laughs> Shit. Never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe maybe Ian and I will have to watch this and then have you on in like 
two days when we finish it all because <laughs> that's all we'll do probably it's really easy to binge like the yeah. the, sh- the episodes aren't like you know an hour long or anything they're like 30 minutes and the the seasons stay pretty short they're not like vampire diaries where it's like 22 episodes a season it's 12 episodes a season sometimes even less uh yeah it's really good awesome well so that is teen wolf and that is on amazon prime i believe so maybe we will check that out and get back to you please do i am down to talk teen wolf whenever (laughs) (laughs) i'm very passionate about it All right. So this has been our review of Big Time Adolescence. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me again. Um, thank you for having me on. Is there anything you'd like to plug? I'm on a podcast called Cinemania World. Uh, it's on just about every streaming platform. Uh, just Cinemania World. Uh, and then my Twitter handle is at Movies and Cats. It's a lot more Movies and Cats, I will say, but it's definitely a good yeah. follow. <laughs> <laughs> at, at least my cat is in my uh avatar oh right yeah (laughs) all right and ian thank you as always again too uh is there anything you'd like to plug yeah i guess i'll just keep plugging my twitter i got like two follows i think out of this podcast really (laughs) yeah yeah wow other podcasts followed me that's that's two more two more than i got so oh sweet (laughs) (laughs) um you can follow me at i anderson on twitter uh the o is zero (laughs) awesome The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at moviemarathoners.podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing. And any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when we run through TBD. It's all up in the air, so stay tuned. I'll figure it out soon. Till then, bye. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.